Welcome back to Banjo Strings and Drinking Gourds, How American Culture Came to Be, the podcast of the Frontier Culture Museum of Virginia. Rounding out our special Women's History Month series is Mary-Kate discussing the daily life of a blacksmithing family in 18th century Ireland. I have lost count of how many times a visitor has been caught off guard walking into the Irish Forge when they encounter me working there. They see a woman maneuvering around the radiating heat of the forge with sooty hands holding tongs and wielding a hammer to move and shape glowing hot metal. For most people, I'm not exactly the image of what comes to mind when they think of a blacksmith. Some are even more shocked when they say, oh, here's the blacksmith shop. Let's go see what he is working on. And then are very surprised at the sight of me or another female interpreter working in the shop. Although the occasional visitor might make a joke that is a bit sexist in its tone, the vast majority of these interactions evolve into meaningful opportunities to learn more about the diverse and unexpected roles of women in the past. In spite of how blacksmithing is generally portrayed in popular culture, it was in fact a trade that was open to men and women. With that being said, the presence of women in that particular trade must not be overstated, as it was mainly dominated by men in the time periods we interpret here at the Frontier Culture Museum. Many working women in the 18th century participated in more domestic trades if they had the choice. Generally, these trades would allow for greater opportunities for girls to enter an apprenticeship and also tended not to be as labor intensive. However, not every girl had a variety of options when it came to making a living. For some girls, becoming a part of their family's business was the most feasible option. Marrying a tradesman might also afford you opportunities to learn skills needed to support a family business. This was often the case for women and girls who became involved in trades like blacksmithing. Women involved in this trade often had to do so out of necessity to support themselves and their families. If your husband became ill or died, you would often have no choice but to take over the operation of the business. There are also many material and financial considerations that factor into that decision. Blacksmithing tools and the management of a shop is expensive and something that one could not just discard and move on to something different. And if a widowed woman who inherited her husband's business decided to remarry, this business would then transfer over to her new husband. These could be very difficult choices for women in that position to consider. Though primary sources exist from the 18th century regarding formal and informal apprenticeships for girls and women actively working in metalworking trades, they tend to be fairly scarce. This is largely due to the fact that men at the time were not really concerned about writing those things down, which can make the challenge of researching the complex and often obscure lives of these women even more complicated. But what we do know is that even scant pieces of evidence can still give us valuable insight into the lives and work of tradeswomen in the past. The story you are about to hear is fictional, but is based on the real and varied experiences of women in 18th century metalworking trades. It is representative of a tenant farming family living in County Fermanagh in Northern Ireland, who also operated the blacksmith shop in their community. This story encompasses many of the difficulties that affected families all across Ulster and often the rest of Ireland during the mid 18th century and describes the complex needs and motivations that could influence a woman's reason to enter the trade of blacksmithing. Mary knew what it meant to work from a very young age. 
In fact, some of her earliest memories were shaped by the work that she witnessed when she was too young to help. She was blissfully nestled in the warmth of a wool blanket, while her older brother and sister hurriedly fetched willow baskets from the corner by the hearth and ran outside into the cold air. Their quick steps on the packed dirt floor and her mother's voice echoing from the byre outside roused Mary from a deep sleep. By the time her vision was clear after rubbing her eyes, her gaze had settled on the dim glimmer from a few small pieces of turf smoldering in the hearth. Her eyes quickly darted back to the door when she saw her mother leading her brother and sister, carrying heaping baskets of turf to add to the fire. As her mother carefully placed small pieces of turf among the remaining embers, Mary saw the glow from the fire become brighter and reflect on the thick layer of smoke that seemed to hang from the upper timbers and sod while lingering just above their heads. That moment remained in Mary's memory and always reminded her of how important it was for her family to work together in times of hunger and hardship. By the age of three, Mary had only known the chill that always crept under the door and the incessant wind that rattled the windows and battered the thatched roof that gave her family shelter. And just as she knew the cold's familiar bitterness, she also knew the gnawing pangs of hunger that often accompanied it. The weather had been so uncharacteristically cold and windy that year in County Fermanagh that hardly any of their grain crops and root vegetables survived its harsh assault. Neighbors throughout Ulster were suffering the same misfortunes, and many made great sacrifices to provide for their families and maintain their farms and livelihoods. Mary's father was a skilled blacksmith who operated his business just a stone's throw away from the corner of their small pasture. Three years before the shift in weather locked its icy grip on these northern hills, her father spent long days working in his shop with the help of a journeyman smith named William, John and James, who were two gifted, though often unreliable, apprentice boys, and Mary's mother, who did her best to maintain the ledgers and talk with customers while expecting a baby and keeping track of two young spirited children. Their days began early when the morning sun was just beginning to peek through the windows of the shop. Mary's father and William prepared small pieces of kindling for the day's lighting of the forge while John took buckets to fetch water. The steady pumping of the bellows breathed life into the ash and buried embers from yesterday's work. Outside of the shop, James shoveled heaps of fresh coal from the bin, which left his hands and trousers black with soot. Mary's mother would usually arrive just as the smoke from the new fire had dissipated, and then she would quickly prepare her quill and ink and tend to the first customers of the day. She was meticulous with her record-keeping, paying close attention to credits and debits, and never hesitated to remind a customer of what they owed if they ever took advantage of her kind nature. And she was always willing and very capable of swinging a hammer when it was necessary. The shop was usually a bustling hub of activity in the community, where folks came to discuss everything from the weather to the most intriguing rumors that had been making the rounds. Most of the work done in the shop involved repairing farm tools, making custom ironwares, and shoeing horses and ponies that pulled carts and powered plows. Business was particularly fruitful in the months before planting and harvest times, as their neighbors needed to make sure their tools were functional for when they needed them. Blacksmithing certainly did not make Mary's family wealthy, but it did help them pay rent for their house, shop, and farmland. 
The price of rent was difficult for many families in Ulster, and those who had the means or were willing to take the risk began to seek opportunities elsewhere. William the Journeyman, as it turned out, was just one among multitudes of Ulster's sons and daughters who ultimately took that risk while carrying hope for a better life. By the time Mary turned three, the great frost had already ravaged all of Ireland with its piercing cold, and the following spring was no less brutal. A terrible drought defeated any chance of crop rejuvenation after a long winter of freezing temperatures. The resulting famine took a heavy toll on people and livestock all over Ireland, as they died from sickness and starvation. Even Mary's own village was not safe from the slaughter, as many would come to call the wave of death that took place during that horrific spring. Mary's family lost friends and neighbors, and her older brother became ill and died of typhus. Surrounded by all of this loss, Mary's family struggled, and maintaining a business that could still support them became an even greater challenge. In the months and years following these difficult times, Mary's father was not able to replace William after he left for the ports of Philadelphia. James also decided to leave after his apprenticeship ended to go live with relatives and help work their fields. Mary's father was getting older, and years of smithing had already started to catch up with him. He and Mary's mother knew that they needed more help in order to continue operating a shop that produced quality work and could meet the needs of their community. When she was old enough, Mary's sister started spending more time with their mother down at the shop. Her first tasks were fairly simple, including the routine sweeping and dusting of the shop, as well as hitching ponies who arrived for a hoof trimming and new sets of shoes. As Mary's sister grew to be a bit bigger and stronger, she was tasked with being a striker for John, who had developed his skills to the level of a fine journeyman smith. This meant that Mary's sister learned how to wield a large, heavy hammer with enough precision to keep a steady rhythm with John's guiding hammer blows. This was hard work for Mary's sister, but she continued to build her skills and strength through practice. Even as a small-framed girl, she used her tools with a great deal of control and paid close attention to the details of the work. Their mother found herself needing to step in more and more often assisting with finishing work as their father's eyesight gradually deteriorated. He was no longer able to see where rough edges needed filing, and the stiffness of his fingers made it difficult to use small tools without dropping them. He also burned his already scale-scarred hands with more frequency, looking for tools around the fire and not being able to see in the shop's dim light. When in years past, Mary's father took pride in the number of horses and ponies he could shoe in a day, he eventually had to give up that responsibility to John because his back could no longer stand the constant bending that was required. On the first day of her 16th year, Mary sprung out of bed with excitement because she was looking forward to learning how to weld chain links at the shop that day. She had been spending time with her family there as soon as she was old enough, just like her sister did a few years before. After a while, she was honing her skills with a seriousness that was not often seen in girls her age. She enjoyed seeing the progress of her work, but left exhausted more days than not, and the painful blisters on her hands took a long while to transform into hardened calluses. The work was not easy, but it was necessary. Mary determined from her early time in the shop and the difficult times that her family faced together that she wanted to help in any way she could. Mary's father died the summer before, 
leaving Mary, her sister, and John with more responsibility as her mother assumed ownership of the business. There was a great deal of uncertainty surrounding the direction of the business at that time, and Mary's mother had new concerns that she needed to consider. Would she take in any new apprentices to learn the trade? Would she, John, and Mary be able to support the business if her eldest daughter decided to marry and leave the shop? If Mary inherited the business, would she keep it in sole ownership, or would she marry and pass the ownership to her husband? Did Mary's mother really even want to continue the business in the first place? For most widowed women in her position, the massive investment in tools and materials for a specialized trade like blacksmithing would usually be too valuable to allow much of a choice when it came to keeping or selling a business. The items needed for a business such as this would not be inexpensive to acquire, and their sheer cumulative weight tended to anchor the business in one place, leaving little opportunity to start over in a different location. For other women like Mary's mother, the ability to navigate these difficult choices and questions and work in a trade that tested one's body and mind generally proved them to be respected women in their business and craft, effectively paving the way for girls like Mary and countless future tradeswomen. <laughs>